Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Season 3, Episode 6 of the Average to Elite Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Lowe, and this week I had the absolute pleasure and privilege of chatting to my good friend, Ben Robson, about excelling in both sport and life. Ben and I worked together back in 2019, and since then he's gone from strength to strength, which is absolutely incredible to see. Uh, ben competes on the international stage in BJJ, runs a successful SNC and nutrition coaching consultancy called Unorthodox Performance. He's a BJJ coach, and uh, if that wasn't enough, he's uh, currently in the process of completing his PhD. So needless to say, uh, this man is an absolute operator. We basically discussed everything from productivity hacks, lifestyle management, performance eating strategies, and of course, how to make weight safely and effectively. Ben shares a phenomenal amount of insight from his experiences as both a coach and athlete, so you'll undoubtedly walk away from this episode with a ton of value. Uh, I know I certainly did, which is absolutely incredible. So without any further ado, let's get into today's show. Ben, how are you doing? Thank you very much for your time today and coming onto the podcast. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Always nice to catch up and chat with each other. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Really, really looking forward uh, to this one. I know you are a very busy man and uh, you, like we mentioned before, you wear many hats. Um, so before we get into the uh, nuts and bolts of today, could you just give uh, us a brief overview of who you are, what you do, and uh, what the plan of action is going forward? Yeah, so uh, anyone that's known, I'm Ben. Um, I'm a PhD or third year PhD student or candidate. Um, I can never get my head around what they keep changing the kind of title of it, but a PhD student. Um, I'm also a jiu-jitsu black belt um, and uh, I guess you'd say elite athlete or competitor. Um, I try and compete as much as I can around everything. And then I also do strength conditioning and nutrition coaching online with a company, it's mine called Unorthodox Performance, um, as well as running a few other little side hustles and coaching um, full-time at my own clubs down the Hangar Performance Centre in Cardiff and then CF24 Jiu-Jitsu as well in Cardiff. Um, yeah, so a uh, busy, busy man, always got something going on um, and trying to compete as much as I can when I can. And that's pretty much where I'm at at the moment is I'm in a heavy competitive phase of training. So um, it's always good to take time away from everything else and come and jump on a podcast and chat for a bit. Yeah, absolutely class. Like that is a, a very busy schedule. Uh, like I said, you got a lot going on. So a lot of people will perhaps think of like, wow, you do so much. How do you have time to stay on top of your own nutrition, stay on top of your own training? So just purely from like a plan perspective, how do you get everything done? Do you have any kind of strategies or anything you follow or implement or is it a case of everything just gets done no matter what it'll just get done or is it a bit more systematic i try to be systematic um as best i can i think sometimes the plan can go out the window um i'm very meticulous in my plan and i always try and sit down like a sunday evening and go like right okay what's the week ahead looking like um and schedule kind of times out i think having a strength conditioning background and understanding the need for kind of programming and periodization helps with that even if it's on like a a micro cycle level throughout the week of just kind of being like right okay what sessions have I got when are they fitting in how hard are they what times do I have then to fit in other bits of work and kind of just schedule it um one thing I was very guilty of was planning a lot and then not 
executing it to its fullest, like kind of getting tied up with, oh, I'll go for coffee and then that eats into time or something like that. And I think a lot of it is when you do a lot is actually time to do nothing is really important as well. Um, so making sure I'm not deviating from that. And then with regards to like keeping on my nutrition, I think it's just understanding what time I have available and then being strict with that time around it. So kind of, I know um, I use today as an example, we had a pro, like a pro training session at 12 o'clock. Um, I knew that was coming up. I knew this morning um, I was teaching a one-to-one. So I was like, right, I'll get up. I'll just go and teach my one-to-one kind of hydrate off. I go straight away. It was an early morning one come home right that time where I'd usually be faffing around before I start work is right. Okay. That's a window to eat and then prep my pre-training food. Um, and then I would sit a block of work kind of sipping on coffee and doing that and then going, right. Okay. Here's an alarm. It's kind of 11 o'clock now. I know I'm training in an hour, get something in me. Um, and then off I go then for my session. So it's just kind of, I guess being strict with that time. Um, I set a thousand alarms constantly throughout the day just to be like, right. Remind myself to do this. Um, one thing is drinking. So I always have to remind myself to drink enough water. I'll be sat at a desk, just typing away, um, and do that. So I guess like the short answer is planning, but not just planning and being meticulous of the plan. I think the planning is the easy part It's kind of executing a plan. So I have a, a little whiteboard in my desk and next like that, I have like the bullet points, the to do's that I need to do. And I literally have at the bottom, I don't think I've ever scrubbed it out. It's just like planning is easy, execute, execute, execute. And I think it was from like a, I can't even remember the podcast, but some US Marines and they were kind of saying that like when they're out on deployment, it's like when they say execute, execute, that's the time that everyone's going to be rushing through that door to storm a building. So like the plan and the preparation before that is easy, but when it's time and they hear that execute, execute, it's time to get kind of shit done essentially and bust through that door and go and do it. So I kind of remind myself that I need to execute the plan, not just write it out. Yeah, that, that's so good. Um, so follow-up question on that then. How do you not get distracted in these kind of deep work blocks? Um, yeah, so it's really bad. One thing I have to always do is I always try and take my phone out of the way just because of you know being busy. Sometimes I've got people phoning me about one-to-ones, Instagram notifications, kind of the lads from training messaging me about something, things like that. So I always try and take my phone out of the way and kind of have that dedicated periods of deep work. So uh, a good book I read was Cal Newport's Deep Work and just how important that is. And I found that for me, I'm very good. My best work comes when I'm just diving into something. Um, and if I'm trying to do kind of shallow work all the time, it doesn't work. So I'm very strict with that and try and have like no distractions with the phone and things like that. And I also, um, I would try and stick to like kind of a Pomodoro method so I'll kind of try and do um, half hour or 25 minutes of work, five minute break, 25 minutes of work, five minute break. Um, and I try and do kind of like a few blocks of those, so about four blocks of those. Then I'll give myself a longer break um, and repeat that. And I always try and aim to get about 10 of those blocks done. So it's like I'm trying to at least have like five hours worth of deep work dedicated and then a couple hours then of kind of emails whilst I'm doing something else at the same time kind of work as well. So it's kind of just there's weird little productivity things you see all those YouTubers kind of banging on about and I was like, oh, okay, do they work? And then once you actually implement them into kind of a productivity system is um, doing that. It's the same as the planning is like they work as long as you commit to doing them. If you kind of half-ass it, then it's probably not going to work. Um, so I try and always just be strict with it like that. Yeah. Awesome. 
So you're saying that in about 20 minutes' time, we have to take a, a five-minute break with this podcast and then crack yeah, on. Just pour it, grab a coffee. <laughs> that, that book, uh, Deep Work, is awesome. I just finished uh, reading myself. And uh, as you sort of going through like your Deep Work kind of schedule, I was like, have you have you read that book? And yeah, clearly you have. So uh, one of the things you've said down there is like time to do nothing as well is really important. So just that time to buffer, recalibrate and not do anything, almost just get slightly bored because that then recharges you for the next deep work block so you're you can work kind of distraction free and it's so key what you said about there about the shallow work the social media the getting back to messages emails and stuff that can really just engulf your time and then before you know it, it's like two three hours gone and you haven't actually done anything overly productive so that is after key and it makes sense how you're able to get through so much work stay on top of everything take a lot of boxes um, so that's really cool. That's an absolutely awesome show. So, and like I said, planning is absolutely key. You have to have a plan and then execute, execute, execute. Yeah, I think as well, like with um, the kind of like time to do nothing or time to do shallow work, it's similar to kind of like dieting. It's like if I was to say, oh, I'm not going to eat any peanut butter because I love peanut butter. And like after a while, I'm probably going to cave and go and eat a load. Whereas if I tell myself oh, I can have a little bit and I control it, kind of and it fits within my caloric needs for the day then I'm probably less likely to, to just have to go and binge out and do it and I think it's the same with kind of with the work side of things if you give yourself dedicated time to scroll through Instagram for 30 minutes then you're less likely to just sit there for a couple hours and get distracted by doing it because you're going right I can know if I do this work I can then go off and go right that's time to actually do that and probably when you get there you probably won't want to do it anyway yeah yeah, 100%. And there's loads of different things you can do, like little hacks to control the environment even more, like turn notifications off on your phone, have like Instagram block you out after like 30 minutes, all that kind of stuff that I kind of do as well. And I just find it, it works incredibly well in, t- in terms of just keeping me focused and on point and on track. And therefore, I got more free time, so kind of more white space in the diary to do whatever I want, whether it's just sit down, listen to music, grab a coffee, read a book, or just go for a walk. Like it's it's quite nice just that time to reset. So yeah, that, that's absolutely awesome. That, that's really cool. So uh, let's talk about some uh, nutrition and training. Um, <laughs> so uh, in terms of where you are now, you said you're in like a deep kind of competitive uh, block. So how does training look like for you at the moment? How many hours a week are you actually getting done? Um, it'll vary a little bit dependent on kind of schedule. Sometimes I do have to miss kind of some of the day sessions just because of meetings and stuff like that. It's kind of unavoidable sometimes where um, some of my supervisors, my main supervisor, she's just gone off on maternity. So it's like before she's gone off, it was like uh, we're having to schedule a couple more meetings and stuff like that. Um, at the moment, I'm coaching um, probably nearly every evening apart from one. Um, next week, I start coaching a little bit more. But every evening I would coach and then um, train after that. So when they're sparring and my coaching sessions, I'll obviously spar with everyone. And then four days a week, so Monday to Friday, um, all the days apart from Wednesday, we'd do sparring in the day. Um, so kind of a big block we were doing, we were going to other clubs to train and get rounds in. So kind of Monday, Tuesday, Thursday and Friday were double days. Wednesdays were a lighter day, so kind of... Uh, a single session even where I'm coaching I'll kind of I'll try and bring my sparring volume down on that day just so I have those two days and then if I'm not competing on the weekends it'd usually be coach and spar on a Saturday and then on the Sunday something lighter um depending on how I'm feeling or kind of like a self-regulated completely off day um and then conditioning wise 
this kind of period leading into it, my condition has actually been brought down. I've been guilty in the past of kind of doing a lot of strength conditioning. So it's like four days a week sometimes and just being like, I need to do it. And then realizing now at Black Belt that I've kind of put in the miles with the SNC. My weight class doesn't need me to be ridiculously strong. I'm already head and shoulders above the numbers that would be for my weight class. So I was like, it's not a need for me to do lots of that. So I've brought that down a lot. And especially now at the point I'm at, it's only twice a week. Um, SNC and that would usually fall one probably on um one of the the more moderate days so kind of uh a Wednesday maybe if I'm feeling it if I'm not too sore from the Monday and the Tuesday or fall on to a Thursday where I have a really hard day knowing the Friday is going to be brought back a little bit and then one session on the weekend yes so that's definitely uh definitely pretty full-on so it is a really nice point you said there like with your sport you almost have like a critical I guess all sports have like have a critical level of strength and then once you kind of surpass that, is actually being stronger more beneficial? Or is your time better spent doing something else, either actually resting or doing other elements of your sport-specific stuff? So that's cool. So with our big training load, the first thing I was going through my mind is, right, how is Ben recovering from all of this? Because um, obviously, if you'll be up and sore after Monday and you're going straight through till Saturday, they're there about uh, with different intensity-based sessions but generally speaking you're doing pretty full week how are you recovering is there anything that you do outside of nutrition uh to accelerate the recovery and get you back to baseline yeah so i'm a big fan of kind of ice being kind of helping with recovery or kind of cold water immersion i think that potentially could just be psychological and more than physiological but i'm a big fan of kind of getting every now and then kind of some sort of cold water immersion just because i don't have access to a proper um ice bath it's usually just cold water bath and then bung a load of ice into it so it's never truly an ice bath but i like um a couple of times a week i'll try and get a little bit of cold water therapy in with that um soft tissue release always a good one so kind of uh, one of the best investments i had was a massage gun um so just kind of helping with that kind of tight areas but the biggest thing that helped me and i've always been guilty for it um until kind of the past few months is sleep like everyone knows, oh, you probably should sleep to recover. And I was always very much like, oh, no, I like kind of sleep when I'm dead. Um, and I constantly had like the internal battle in my head, like, oh, I'm training like an athlete. I should sleep loads to recover. Um, but then also I'm like that kind of productivity thing, kind of, no, you should just get up and grind and be right away at four in the morning, these kind of things. Um, and I found the biggest thing, even with my productivity, it helped, but also recovery is just getting enough sleep. Um, so kind of, I don't think it's quite accurate, but I invested in a whoop and kind of that kind of guide there, kind of sleep coach in that where it's like, oh, if you want to be 85% or more recovered, then you need to get this many hours sleep. And I would just use that as a, as a guide. Um, I'm not the best at sleeping for long periods of time, but trying to force myself like time in bed is the biggest thing um, just to try and get that in. And I think that's the biggest thing that's made the biggest difference in this kind of last prep and this block of training is um asleep yeah 100 it, it is so 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 key isn't it like it is the biggest performance enhancing tool you have really in terms of both physical and mental performance you know i can have 800 grams of carbohydrates in my diet and have four hours sleep and i'm still going to perform like shit i'm still going to feel terrible i'm going to run down and get ill where if i had like half the amount of carbs but a good night of sleep then my performance is going to be considerably better um without a doubt so sleep is just absolutely key isn't it 
so going back to say beyond like say a few months ago um when sleep probably wasn't the highest priority like how did you typically feel within day to day do you feel like you're just always getting by or how do you typically feel like what's what's the difference so perhaps listeners can identify with that because a lot of them will perhaps think like hustle grind upper five or before that big day of work train at night get to bed at 11 12 five hours sleep and then do it again so how can they perhaps identify whether they're in that camp where they need to prioritize more sleep yeah i think you you can get away with it for maybe one or two days you can kind of be like if you've got kind of five six hours sleep you can kind of be like ah it's okay i'm getting by and you feel okay and training's not too bad um i think it's more just like the motivation for training um and then kind of i guess like the sharpness in it especially for jiu-jitsu it's just that kind of it is some of it is very reaction based especially kind of for me being in the lightweight classes if i'm sparring with someone who's in a similar weight class we move very quick and it's like i'll usually find if i'm not caught up on sleep it's like i'm at half a second behind and sometimes you can kind of just feel like oh it's just one of those days i'm having a bad session or so and so is on point today um and they're getting like they're winning those little inches more than they normally would. Um, and I think it's just identifying that, is it that you're actually having a bad session or is it you didn't, or you, I guess if you're lacking sleep, you probably are having a bad session, but it's like, actually, is it just a bad session in that kind of that day they were more switched on or is it actually that you didn't give yourself the best foot forward for that session? Um, and I kind of, I think mental mentally it's the biggest one is just kind of, either motivation or kind of um, skill acquisition. If you're not being able to kind of reel off these kind of movements as easily, then you probably need to address something. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And with like, um, like the whoop or any form of like activity tracker that helps with sleep or measure sleep, they, you know, they're not going to be bang on in terms of accuracy, but they will modify behaviors. So you're more aware of sleep and the need to get more. So, yeah, I, I really, really like them from that perspective, for sure. Um, so is there anything you do in particular to help you get a better night's sleep? Any kind of sleep habits, like sleep hygiene, anything like that? Yeah, so I think um, the biggest thing for me is a routine. I think that's the worst thing, um, the kind of fallout. I think um, when I was kind of single and kind of just be there, you'd be chatting to girls and stuff, like being on your phone late, it kind of, you fall into bad habits of that poor screen time. And then you're like one night, it's like you're chatting away till one in the morning, the next you're in bed by half nine, kind of these kind of things. So I think just having a strict routine and kind of sticking to it. Um, I typically finish training quite late um, and just kind of be able to be like, right, okay, I've had food. I give myself half hour or so of chilling out. And then when it gets to this kind of point, maybe half 10, 11, then I'm like, right, okay, now it's phones off. Um, typically I try and have like the kind of, the dimmer or kind of the blue light, I wouldn't put it blue light blocking, but you know, on your phone where it kind of has that, you see it switch around kind of 7 p.m. It can switch and kind of dims everything down, has that yellow tinge to it. Um, having that on um, and then just my routine of like shower, get into bed, read a little bit and then go to sleep. So kind of just that habit of going, I clean, I read, I sleep and the keeping it the same. Just so it's like psychologically, it's like I know that once I've got kind of this book in my hand, then a little bit after that, I'm ready to sleep and just kind of tell him like kind of tricks your brain to being like, this is what we do now. It's that routine. I think we're creatures of habit. So setting that routine of that um, and then kind of more sleep hygiene is just less time on the phone. Very like I, I like a very cold room. 
very dark room. Um, and with that, then, yeah, that's about it. Just routine and those small little kind of sleep hygiene things. Yeah, that, that routine will definitely just condition you. And I guess that like routine is really important for everything, really, not just sleep in terms of how you prepare for training, competition, throughout the training week and so on. So in terms of um, where we're at at the moment, obviously a lot of training to get through, a lot of sessions to fuel. So how what's your typical approach for fueling the training week? Um I usually kind of like those heavier days, like even though they kind of seem like double days, it's like some of them are a lot harder. So typically it would be my Tuesdays, Thursdays, and for a period it was Fridays were the harder days. And then um Mondays were moderate, Wednesdays low to moderate, Saturdays low to moderate, Sundays low. Um I'd keep my carbs very high on kind of the the higher days. Um and then the moderate days, they still be quite high. I found that I function a lot better off keeping my carbs higher. Um, obviously, it depends what kind of caloric needs I need throughout those days and those sessions. Um, and I would just kind of, um, I try and, I guess, like, how to describe it now, like, it depends when I'm cutting weight and things like that. Um, and I just try and keep my deficit as little as possible. Um, I think the hardest thing for keeping fueling going for kind of jujitsu is that actually regulating the kind of the expenditure within a session is hard because sometimes I can go into a session and there's five black belts who are all game as hell today. And it's like, right. Okay. This is going to be a very hard session because we're going to do 10 minute rounds and they're going to be wars. Other times there'll be lower belts that aren't, it's easier for me to control. Sometimes it's like there's less black belts, but we know it's going to be slower paced, more strategic kind of skillful rounds. Um, and it can just vary from day to day. I typically try and front load my carbs. So before my session, so I'd much rather kind of go into a session feeling good and fueled. And then afterwards, then I'll assess kind of the recovery side of things. Um, so kind of replenish what's needed and then um, kind of see how it goes then. Um, but I'd much rather kind of, um, I think you mentioned it before on a kind of post about kind of your fueling is your recovery and your recovery is your fueling. And that's kind of the, biggest thing especially at this kind of prep what i focused on is like fueling is key so ensuring that i'm getting enough carbs in before my sessions and then afterwards then if it was a hard session right we'll replenish it if it wasn't as hard well i've got some carbs in my system then to recover um or kind of to replenish i have to replenish less essentially then um yeah yeah i absolutely love that i really like the the front loading of food and carbohydrates and then all you're doing then is refining back end of the day uh based on the intensity and demand of, of that session that's really cool instead of doing it the other way around of having a little bit less carbohydrates not entirely sure the intensity of the session and then if it's hard then backloading because it's not probably the, the right way of doing it because if you prepare for the hardest session possible and it ends up being easier then absolutely cool no problems just yeah reducing back end of the day so i really really like that uh, approach so you have this like system of knowing where your hard days are your medium days are and feeling for them accordingly but even within those days you're um yeah you're just fine-tuning based on whatever goes on so that, that's really cool i really like that that's nice yeah because i think as well like not trying to back end them up, especially when it's a, those harder days and maybe even if i kind of try to fuel and it's harder than i thought at least i've made a kind of bigger step into fueling that and kind of keeping glycogen levels up 
Whereas I'd hate to go in and go not have that much in. It ends up being a really hard session and kind of from a, a mental toughness kind of standpoint, I can push through the session. But then I find that will then impact. I'm playing catch up then. And that might not just be from my evening session, which is light anyway. You're like, oh, I'll get some in. I'll be okay. Is if it was a Monday and that turns out to be really hard and then my Tuesday is going to be really hard again. And then it's like, I'm playing catch up throughout the week then. Um, so I kind of much preferred and found it more beneficial to go, all right, okay, I feel full and, and kind of recovered and fine. And if it's not as hard, then I know I can go, right, okay, I'm feeling in a good position. These sessions that were going to be a little bit lighter, maybe I can push a little bit harder now. Um, just as a result, rather than trying to play catch up constantly. Uh, absolutely. And that's what's really important from the education perspective is like you are educated enough to make those like adjustments back end of the day. And that's where having autonomy of your nutrition is really, really important. So you can make those adaptation. Like if you didn't know what you're doing, then, you know, and the approach was too rigid, it wouldn't work as good as it could be because you can't moderate it yourself. So yeah. that, that is absolutely key. So that, that's really cool. So one of the things you mentioned there about being in a small calorie deficit, if you need to make weight. So how a, a big um, issue a lot of athletes will experience from a wide variety of sports is maintaining performance whilst dropping body fat, whether that's dropping body fat to improve your power to weight ratio or dropping body fat to make weight. So how do you feel, how, oh, sorry, what is your approach for getting the best of both? How do you find that balance? Yeah, so I um, I typically try and periodize out, periodize out my year. It's been a bit weird with kind of COVID of how the kind of seasons have been structured. Obviously, jiu-jitsu doesn't really have a season, but I try and force myself to have, I guess, seasons, even if it's kind of two within a year of having maybe kind of a three to four month block of, right, okay, here's competition. And I'll try and kind of have like an off season and then, taper it or bring it into kind of peaking towards competition then with the first few competitions not being a focus and having those kind of middle point competitions and I'll try and kind of get my weight to a point where I'm close to being on weight so I can only I only have to make kind of acute adjustments to make weight so for example now um post covid I was kind of sitting around 73 to 75 kilos eating loads kind of very intuitively independent on what I was doing. I was being able to go out a lot of social events. And then I was like, right, okay, competition period is coming in. Is I just gradually brought my weight down closer to competition weight so that now in this period of competing, I can sit at a lower weight. Um, so my usual strategy is to kind of bring it down just through small deficits, the same as anyone who would just normally want to lose a little bit of weight would, just the smallest deficit possible whilst being able to maintain training performance. And then for actually making weight to for a competition then is I would kind of just bring it down a little bit and then I would follow more acute strategies then kind of low residue stuff where I kind of bring salt and fiber down and then just try and reduce the kind of amount of food that's in the gut um and with them potentially if I needed a little bit of a water load um but I haven't needed to do that this point yet um and then it just depends on the competition then as well whether it's a day before weigh-in same day weigh-in um, the Europeans, for example, it was, I had the absolute in the morning. So the open weight category, and then I had to weigh in for my division in the afternoon. So I didn't want to be too depleted going in to fight a massive person and then have to still try and make weight for the afternoon. So it was making sure I was around, uh, the correct weight that morning. So I could at least have some water and some kind of liquid carbs throughout the day then. 
Yeah, but brilliant. I absolutely love that approach. Is that when you're making weight, it's split into two phases. You kind of got that chronic phase, which is that slow, um, progressive calorie deficit to bring body fat down. And then you make those fine-tuned, acute adjustments then. So what when we look at those acute adjustments, you mentioned I adopt like a low sodium, low residue diet to pretty much reduce the contents of your gut and almost get like this free weight loss. Uh, what weight do you typically sit above? Do you have like a percentage, like I won't go above 5% of my weight category or 10% or like what kind of numbers do you kind of work with or do you just kind of know in yourself and do a little bit more intuitively that way? Um, I try, it's probably a little bit more intuitively. I think I try to get at the start of like kind of um, my kind of competitive phase within 5% of my weight class, just because mentally I don't have to go like, all right, okay, I've got to drop five kilos now. Um, so it's kind of just being within kind of, for me, I compete at under 70 in a gi, which is the gi is 1.5 to two kilos. So I usually say six, I'm walking around about 68 or I need to weigh in 68 plus my gi weight. Um, and then some competitions are 69 without the gi on. So I'll typically try and get to around 70 to 71 and then do that kind of last two kilos ish. So kind of there's the gi weight um, in, in that kind of period, the acute period, just more. I don't want to have to be stressing about making weight and worrying about having to jog around at some sort of sports center in a sweatsuit or anything like that. Um, and I just think from, from my standpoint, like you no, know, being someone who's a little more switched on with nutrition is I don't want to be that guy that switched on nutrition and still misses weight. Um, so I'd rather be over-prepared than panicking to try and make it. So I usually go, yeah, probably no more than 5% um, is my kind of strict with myself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that's great. Um, would that change a little bit if you had a day before weigh-in or morning off weigh-in in terms of the acute, the degree and extent of the acute strategies? Yeah, so I could probably with the um, the, day, the same day weigh-ins, it'll be more that I'm going to basically just have that prolonged chronic phase of just the calorie deficit and get as close as I can to it. And then if I need to shift a little bit off, then I'll, I'll do that. Um, kind of just through that kind of reducing the contents of my gut. So I'll try and get a little bit closer with that with the day before weigh-ins, then I'm quite comfortable with being like, okay, weigh-ins are in the afternoon. Um, I just won't eat this morning. If I need to, I can have a little bit of a sweat and I'm okay with having a morning of just, consuming nothing and just surviving and letting my body um run on empty for a little bit um so yeah day before weigh and i'm a little bit more comfortable with the kind of i don't want to say more extreme but kind of just those less favorable for performance strategies because i know that i have a period of probably um 12 to 15 hours to replenish everything um ready for the next morning yeah absolutely so again you're just it comes down to the planning side of it again, doesn't it? Knowing what competition, know what the time frame is between weighing and actually competing, what you can take out, what level you can deplete or dehydrate, and then get back up to baseline. So performance, both physically and mentally, is in an incredibly strong position, uh, for, for sure. So that that is that's really cool. So in terms of um the competition specific stuff after you made weight, what do you typically do then? Does that pretty much stay the same based on the time frame of weighing, or is it pretty much based on the strategies you've used leading into it? 
So I think it, it would depend on how, if I, depends on the weigh-in and depends then what I've had to do. So if it was the same day weigh-in, um, and this can vary, this is where kind of some competitions are slightly a little bit more relaxed, where you just weigh in when you arrive at the venue and you'll compete at some point afterwards. Um, others then, like the Europeans, the IBGF, like you step on the scales, they check your gi, you walk into a small little kind of, they call it a bullpen, kind of just a little waiting area. And then it could be anywhere between two to 15 minutes that you're in there before you compete and you're then stood next to the mat ready to go on. In the case of something like the Europeans, I would try not to kind of deplete too much and be too dehydrated just so that way then afterwards more can kind of just get some water in me. If I was able to, I would have eaten some sweets beforehand just to have something in my system. And at that point, if I have that kind of 10 minute window, usually it'd just be water and something like a Powerade or Lucozade just kind of liquid carbs, even it's just from like a psychological standpoint of just tasting something sweet, just having that mouth rinse um, to have something in my system. Usually first first match, um, if you're seeded, you're going to have a, probably an easier opponent first round. So you can kind of go, you know what, if I fueled up when I'm okay with this, I can be a little bit not 100%, get through this first match, just coast through it, get the win. And then go to the next one, kind of you'll probably have an extended period of 30 minutes then to get at least something a little more substantial in. Um, day before weigh-ins then, um, typically it depends if I've had to cut or not, like a lot of weight, if it was something where I've done a more extreme kind of MMA style weight cut, then I would probably look to kind of slowly rehydrate, um, I'll kind of just drip in some electrolytes and things like that, and then usually have something like, fruit a small sieve and a fruit or something just to start my body digesting some food properly um and then build up to a, a normal meal um if i haven't had to do that then usually it's just water get a snack in and then go for food um after that then and that's usually kind of easy digesting food in the evening then just rice and some kind of protein source then um just to get that in my system and then if i've weighed in the day before on competition day then usually I just follow um, something we'd worked with kind of beforehand was just that kind of law of halves. So just kind of figuring out when I'm competing and then just working backwards from there. Right. Okay. This point, if I've got, I don't know if I'm competing at 10 AM and I'm going to get up at seven is having that breakfast in and then just going hour and a half out, 45 minutes out and then in and just going working up to competing then um, is usually my typical approach. If I'm competing in the afternoon, then obviously I have a prolonged period. I can get more food in into me then with that. Yeah, solid. Um, it sounds like you've got this system very much locked in based on all the different um, competition styles, timings, all this kind of stuff, which is absolutely incredible to hear. So I guess like you didn't have all this in place from day one. So what perhaps did you do before you got to this point of knowing what you need to do? Like what was the type of things and approaches you did? Yeah. So some of them would be sometimes like when I was younger, um, I kind of would just jump in and just kind of, I try not to cut weight. Sometimes you'd have to do it. Um, I think when I started, I was around kind of people where it was just kind of the culture was weight cut and they were MMA guys. So it was just kind of, oh, that's what you do. Um, so if I had to make weight for anything like that, it would usually just like just stop eating and drinking and just make weight. And then it would depend on the way in it was the day before way in i've had horror stories where i've just not eaten for kind of close to two days then i've gone to weigh in and be like oh, i'm dehydrated as hell i need to get some water in me and just chugged a load of water and then it's just hit my stomach and bounced back straight back up and i've just speeded up again 
Um, and then also, I think the big thing as well that I, I noticed was a big mistake for me um, with that kind of refueling, especially for day before weigh-ins, would be trying to get too much in. Um, so it'd just be like, oh, I can eat now. Great, I've made weight. I don't have to weigh in again. Let's get a load of food in. But I've obviously not thought, I've gone weeks without eating this much food and just giving myself loads of like GI distress, which like cramming in a load of food and just sat there with a stomach full, like super painful, kind of like Christmas dinner level of like stuff, um, stuffness and just being there and like, oh, great. Now I've got to go and sleep this off and hope that I feel okay in the morning. And then usually what happens is um, it's problematic. And the thing that helped me change with that was um, listening to Mike Dolce. So probably like kind of the OG with helping people in MMA making weight. Um, and he put it that like for UFC fighters, it's if they go in and they like make weight, great. Or if they miss weight, but they feel okay and they refuel fine, they give up 20% of their purse. If they go and win, then fine. They still win. They make a good amount of money. But if they make weight normally, but then absolutely destroy themselves by trying to cram in a load of food and not refuel properly, and then as a result, their performance is diminished and they lose, they lose 50% of their potential earnings. So it's like if they had 10 grand to fight, 10 grand to win, but they ruined themselves by trying to refuel, then they're still only ever going to win that 10 grand when they could have won 20 grand. And it's like they could have quite comfortably made weight and just been sensible, not by stuffing it in. And I was like, it's not the same. We don't get paid like that for doing jiu-jitsu. But I was like, oh, he's got a point. Like, I'm, like if I've gone months without eating loads, like kind of maybe 10 weeks if I've just been gradually doing it, then I could go one more day without trying to stuff myself and like focus on performing. Yeah, that, that's that's pretty cool. Like money is a, a very good motivator to change behavior. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, and it, ma- it makes complete sense. Like if you're just absolutely hammering in, I don't know, like a Nando's or something like that, you just got straight for food, put loads of food in. Most likely, you got, like you said, you can be so bloated and then that'll actually decrease your desire to eat more carbohydrates or drink more food back end of the day so you're actually going to be worse off from a recovery and replenishment rehydration perspective so building up gradually building up your tolerance um is actually a really really good idea i really like that yeah i think as well like saying about like kind of nando's just from like kind of anecdotal experience from kind of people i've been around with um and hearing kind of stories of um other guys like being in kind of MMA gyms and stuff like that. I think it was like a thing that if you have a day before weigh-in, you have to go for Hernandez with all the guys that weighed in as well. And I used to kind of, I wouldn't after a while. And once I got more clued up with that, I was like, you haven't eaten anything like that. You've been avoiding loads of spicy food and all of these kind of this kind of food for ages. And they're just going in and eating peri salted chips and butterfly chicken and like mashed potato and garlic bread. And it's like, you haven't eaten that for, however long and you're trying to get a load of it in now like surely that's not going to sit well um and that was a big thing for me as well is kind of keeping even with my refueling side of things is actually keeping the food similar to what i have been eating because i know it's been sitting well so if it's for me kind of tofu and rice and some a little bit of veggies with a kind of small bit of sauce then i'll just keep that the same and my bigger meal would just be the same but more um yeah just because it's kind of something that's always kind of been a pet peeve of mine seeing MA fighters just slamming in food and then complaining that their stomach hurts. Yeah, absolutely. So just sticking with what you know, like I said, you know, X, Y, Z is food is going to work really well for you. It's going to sit well and not going to have any gastrointestinal distress, any kind of uh, discomfort there. So, you know, just stick with it. Like no time to go fancy and go off menu, go to 
whatever kind of restaurant, it's, you know, just stick with, stick with what you know. Um, Cause then it's more repeatable, it's reliable, and you can have more confidence and clarity in that approach as well. So it makes complete sense. Um, do you feel like with, I guess, like all combustible athletes, they perhaps put too much emphasis on making weight, almost as, as if making weight is winning the fight itself. And then all of a sudden it's like, right, oh, I actually have to fight the next day or a couple of hours later. Do you feel like that kind of culture or that mindset of making weight is the biggest thing? And then they do this kind of fight thing after. Yeah, I think so. And like, um, I try and get a lot of kind of my students to not worry about making weight, especially the younger guys um, and the lower level belts. I'm like, you're a white belt doing the Bristol Open. It's like, you don't need to do a big weight cut, whatever weight you're at, just go in and try and emphasize that if your skills, your jujitsu is good enough, then you should be able to win. There, like you should be able to do well in this tournament and if you're not then fine if you are like carrying extra weight if there's some people that start jiu-jitsu they're a bit overweight and maybe competing for them is more just of a goal of can they get down to this weight class in that that is a kind of motivator for them to lose some weight from a health standpoint then maybe i'll be a little more but if they're kind of healthy a healthy weight i'll never push them to kind of go yeah you should cut weight but i think there is a big culture in it especially with mma as well and I think a lot of MMA shows now are switching even for their amateurs to a day before weigh-in versus a same day weigh-in just from a standpoint where if people miss weight or people pull out, they have a day to try and scramble and find someone to fill the match so that their kind of their show doesn't lose a, like a load of matches off the card. But I do think that it is like that, that, that a lot of people, they focus on the fight in, but I think as they get closer to the fight, their kind of motivation changes from I'm going to beat this person to I'm going to beat the scales and then I'm going to fight someone. Um, and I think it is a big thing. And I think it is like wrong. Um, I think I'd like to see a change um, for it, but I think it doesn't matter what kind of rule set you put on making weight. Like even with jujitsu, with the kind of the higher level, the Europeans, the worlds, it's like you weigh in and you step on the scales and within 10 minutes, you're next to your mat ready to go. There's still people in bin bags trying to make weight. It's like, you'll never change it. But obviously, I think those kind of steps, they make it that if you've had to drop a load of weight, you're probably not going to perform that well um, if you do that. But yeah, I think there is a big culture within that, especially across the board for combat sports, jiu-jitsu, MMA, kind of kickboxing. You see it all the time. Um, yeah. Hopefully it'll change one day, but you never know. Um, yeah, yeah. Like I said, just they're trying to beat the scales instead of beat the opponents or forget to beat the opponents. And if you think of like optimal performance, what's that entail? Like high carbohydrate availability and adequate hydration status. And what are they doing going into a weigh-in? Depleting massively and dehydrating massively. So if they got like really tight turnaround, like I said, between two and 15 minutes, it's like, you know, they're like on the back foot straight away. Like they're going to be absolutely easy to get one over on. So like the approach is so, so, so critical for that, uh, for sure. So one of the big thing with, all combat sport athletes is they will say they crashed into it they've replenished rehydrated absolutely fine but then they'll just balloon up straight after that fight again so have you so had any experience with this if so have you overcome it or what is your strategy after a sort of competition to avoid that big balloon in body weight is there anything that you look at particularly there is it perhaps in the approach that reduces the likeliness of that happen. What was your kind of thoughts around balloon and post post competition? Yeah, I've, I've never been someone that 
does balloon up just because I, I can kind of eat a lot and get away with it and kind of been like that. Um, I've noticed with the kind of uh, a few people that they'll do this. Um, I think for me, the biggest thing is having kind of the same as we're saying about like having that time to um, kind of relax when we're coming talking about productivity is the same as kind of having like, okay, if I know that I crave kind of chocolates and things like this, can I fit that in as I'm getting and then once I get closer, then I'll cut it out. Um, and then post kind of competition for me is kind of, I'll give myself a period, like a, a day or two, depends on the turnaround to the next tournament. Um, but I'll usually go like, okay, whether it's post-competition or whether it's the next day, um, just having like a big meal, that like kind of one food I've been craving. If I've been craving a Nando's or a pizza or something like that is, right, okay, here's the time to have it. Knowing that acutely my, my weight may fluctuate, but in the grand scheme of things, that one day isn't going to be the end of the world. Give myself, right, here's your like one meal, enjoy it, enjoy the social side of it. And then we get back to um, kind of competing. It's usually like my way of doing it. Um, but I also think a thing that helps me massively is periodizing and planning the year of like, here's around where I'm going to compete. Here's where I'm not. And being like, okay, at the moment now, like my goal is to keep my weight down. So having things like kind of, right, okay, I'm not going to, maybe my maintenance changes and comes down um, and I'm maybe slightly in a deficit to what I'd want to be to maintain a slightly higher body weight. But for this period of time, I just need to keep my weight around this kind of side of things. But then having a period then where I can intuitively and eat more and go, right, I'm just going to let my body weight creep up and, and not so much be like, oh, I'm going to balloon. I'll still step on the scales and check in, but less frequently. But it's like, it's a different period of training. So it'd be maybe my strength addition side of things ups from two sessions a week to four sessions a week. And the goal is to add some um, kind of lean tissue and I need to be in a kind of small surplus for that to be conducive. So just knowing that at points in the year, I have like, this is where I need to be. This is where I need to be stronger. Here's where I need to be on weight and competing and just planning out my year like that. And kind of knowing, telling myself that I have this period where I am going to eat more and lift heavy and it's okay to be a bit heavier. And here's a period where I can be a little bit leaner. And it's something I kind of trialed throughout the lockdowns two years nearly we didn't know how long it was going to be but I was like right this is an extended off season and my body mass didn't change too much um I kind of got heavier to the top end of where I normally would walk around at but not massively but if you looked at my body composition and my kind of um I guess physique it definitely changed over that two-year period because I'd be, have kind of I guess I lost some muscle mass over my legs I had a couple of knee injuries but it's like then where I'd be weaker on my upper body is now I'm a bit thicker up top and these things. And I felt that this has helped me for my performance and it's given me like kind of it's benefited me. So I think around competitions is like, it just comes to planning, um, like a strategy of plan out his competition phase. Um, and here's where I need to be at this weight. And it doesn't mean that I don't compete in my like quote unquote off season periods. I'll still jump in last minute to some competitions just because, I enjoy competing. Maybe it's a competition where I have a few students and I want to experience being in the warm-up area with them and competing alongside them, but they're not the focus. So I'll go up a weight class and just be like, this isn't the world. I don't need to be this. And it's not my main competition. And just having that off season of being heavier and understanding right here, we're lighter. We can't balloon up. 
let's have that one meal, but we bring it back down. And then that off season where here we can eat more, we lift, we get stronger um, and go from there. Yeah, cool. So everything ultimately comes back to having the plan. So you plan out the whole year. The whole year is periodized when you're kind of on sort of pushing uh, and when you're pulling back. And I like that kind of intuitive-based approach uh, and that shift of goals. I think that's that's a really nice way to approach things. And I think when you're actually in that sort of competition phase as well, even though you are in a slight calorie deficit, you still have that flexibility within your intake as well. So have some more kind of relaxed meals out and, and things like that. So therefore it reduces a need or desire to kind of balloon up after. I think the, a lot of people, the reason why people are balloon up is because it's just so restrictive going into it, not only from a calorie perspective, but also um, just like food choice as well. They're kind of eliminating all those quote unquote bad, unhealthy, hyperpalatable foods. Uh, if you have a little bit of that, then you know, it keeps the mind uh, in a much nicer place and the whole experience is more enjoyable. And then after it, like you said, have that one or two flexi meals and then you're still within that kind of nice bandwidth of where you need to be. There's no urgency. There's no panic to get that weight back down. And then when the off season comes around, yeah, you shift the goals, you pivot that into increasing lean mass, more flexibility with your food choices and also higher calories. But again, still having an awareness of where body composition and overall body mass is, is trending. So yeah, that, that is really really quite a, a solid plan so that, that's awesome so so what does your uh rest of your year look like now uh when we're recording this it's kind of end of february so what does the rest of the year look like now yeah so i've just come off um i guess the start of the well i've just started kind of my competition phase for the next couple of months um so we had the europeans last week didn't go to plan first one at black belt i competed in the open weight as well but we kind of we moved forward it was just kind of get that kind of a little bit more experience gain. It's all XP in the bank. But moving forward now, um, I have a competition this weekend. Um, so I have like kind of pretty much a few competitions and I'm refing and coaching at a few. So I have uh, AJP Nationals this weekend. And then March time, we have the Grand Slam in London, which is a big um, Abu Dhabi funded competition with prize money. A lot of the elite come over. So I'm competing that one. Then I have one submission only show. So probably the biggest one in the UK, Polaris, just having a match out on that, which is nice as well because it's a little bit heavier than I'm currently at. So it means I can do these next two comps and then gain a little bit of mass. And then um, April time through to probably May is kind of competition phase. And then I'll probably enter into an off season over the summer with the goal of um, competing then kind of September, October, November time and then taper off for Christmas then as well. Um, yeah, kind of a little bit of change to the normal jujitsu season with kind of the normal worlds and things like that, just through funding, trying to get the ranking points without there being any tournaments in Europe, kind of it's been difficult with COVID. So kind of transition to a different federation to compete in their rule sets a little bit more, which means my weight is it's more favorable. It's more day before weigh-ins, um, but it means I have to be a little bit lighter. Um, so yeah, it's kind of just this heavy competition phase now up to mid-May, end of May. Um, and then we'll transition into kind of, I guess, a, an off-season period and then peak again towards the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So when we perhaps think of peak, uh, it's usually for like one specific event. Like if you're an endurance athlete, it might be right for an Ironman. Or if you're perhaps a boxer, it might be like, right, we're peaking here, then we're going to peak again in six months' time for the second kind of fight. You've got almost back-to-back so you are pretty much holding this peak state 
they're there bars for you know weeks and perhaps months on end so i think an absolute key thing that's coming back from that to make it more you know you you so you can adhere to it better is make sure the approach is as sustainable as possible so you're having that nice balance so how do you find that balance in terms of being able to keep body mass down perform well uh being at a little bit of a deficit and still have some kind of flexibility as you mentioned it, it is reduced compared to off season but how do you manage to keep all of that in during the course of the kind of peaked part of the season yeah i think for me the biggest thing here is like kind of um keep an eye on my body weight and that just comes down to the kind of nutrition it's not rocket science with kind of like more or less in more out kind of thing to lose weight um in this period i think it's more about kind of controlling the volume of training so what i'll typically do is i have the whoop and that can tell me my strain from sessions and stuff like that but i also kind of use a little more of an arbitrary kind of valued measures or measures for that of just going how many rounds have i done how long were those rounds so if i've done five six minute rounds in a session that's 30 minutes how hard were they out of 10 or as a lighter session it was five out of 10 that gives me a value of 150 and just can i keep that volume not skyrocket on some days and keep it a little bit lower um is kind of my typical approach just managing training volume through this period um is a big one because usually if it training volume spikes up my might be in a more severe deficit means that i'm craving a little bit more um and then from a social standpoint is Typically, I'll just, I still go out for food now, even in this period. I still go for coffee and things like that. Um, more from like a mindset standpoint, um, I think a lot of people, they get too restrictive in these kind of things and they focus on, they become very food orientated. So if it was to go out for food, they're like, oh, I can't go out for food because I don't want to sit there and eat a salad um, whilst everyone else is eating X, Y, and Z. But for me, it's more, if I'm going out for food, um, with someone um, for me and you are going to catch up and we're going to go out for food. It's like, I can make a smart choice and kind of eat sensible. Most places now you can get a salad and you can control what you're eating. Um, and I can kind of bring in kind of reduced calories from other parts of my day to account for that. But then it's more from like a psychological standpoint of the social event. It's like, I would hate to get to my grave and go, Oh, you know, I wish I'd gone for food to Chris more. It's like if I can go out for food and, and have a nice time having a good conversation with someone, I much prefer that from a mental side of things versus just focusing on the food. So I still try and incorporate that as much as I can, even if it's like telling people, oh, I can't come out for food with you, but let's go out for a coffee before you and everyone else go out for food. And I'll just go and have a black coffee and sit there with them. And I still have the same social stimulus that I would, but I don't have to then compromise my kind of um, dietary kind of needs um, in this period of training. Um, and I found that's helped me a lot. Um, and it's a good strategy because then it's like more motivating for me because I'm not missing out. I don't have FOMO of going out for food. And it's never the fear of missing out on the food because you know, once you've made weight and you've gone through this stage, you'll get to eat all that food you you want. You could, if I, if I wanted to, I could balloon and binge or I have that one kind of quote unquote cheat meal afterwards so it's not the food that's usually the motivating factor it's that everyone else is going out together for food so you can still do that and have the social thing of it um and i find that's helped me a lot um with motivating me through these kind of periods of training yeah that, that's a really nice way of looking at it like just on the social side of things and you know you, you can still go out you can still have food but it's making the right choices when you're out like you don't have to have like a large Domino's pizza with ice cream on top and stuff. Like you still go out and make 
reasonable kind of choices. Um, and I guess like if you didn't have those kind of social touch points, then obviously the social kind of uh, FOMO will be building up, but you probably will then start experiencing the heightened food focus as well. But because you're having those small kind of bite-sized kind of flexi kind of meals, it doesn't build up and therefore there's a reduced desire to overeat or unplanned overeating. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as well, having good people around you helps as well. Like I think when you explain, oh, I'm going to come, but I can't eat X, Y, and Z kind of foods because I'm focused on these kind of tournaments. Like I, I think it helps that most of my friends and my most of my closest circle is they're jujitsu people. So they understand, um, but having people that understand helps a lot with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like the, the people that you surround yourself with and who support you is so, so key that they're kind of on your side and that they are supportive um you know so they're not bringing in like huge amounts of high calorie high hyper possible foods into your eating environments and you know that's when you can have a lot of sort of uh conflict i guess there in terms of like do i want this do i not want it and so on because that visual cue won't be there um yeah. so yeah your support is actually absolutely key so just to kind of wrap up on today so final kind of question um what advice would you give a young ben robson who's just starting out in his jiu-jitsu career um i think i guess the biggest one for me would not focus on the weight too much especially obviously we spoke a lot about nutrition and kind of both our mutual focus on nutrition but it's actually probably the biggest thing i would say even from a skill standpoint i could tell myself to go and sack off training here and go to other places but i think the biggest thing and i think the thing if there was a young person starting out is not worry about the weight so much i think the one of the biggest regrets i have is i started at 16 and i immediately was there and was like the culture was you have to make weight you have to cut if you're at this weight you need you should go to the one the closest below that not whatever one you're sat at um and i think at that point as well i essentially had free steroids circling through my system so as i could have just used those couple of years between kind of 16 and 19 or 20 of just right let's just eat and lift and get some add some lean tissue when there's that kind of like increased testosterone increased growth hormone circling right through the system just because you're a teenage boy and you're growing um and use that to kind of go into where I, like later stages where i have more lean mass to play with and then focus on finding what weight class i would be at rather than trying to pigeonhole myself too soon and potentially miss out on key years of growth just because i feel like now i'm at a weight class and i'm happy and i'm content with the weight class i'm at but i feel like some of like that covid period where i kind of change my body composition and change my physique slightly i feel that could have been done sooner and i would have been in a better position um from a physique standpoint for my weight class if i'd done something like that earlier on and just focus on guess developing skills and building up these kind of um secondary things that relate to your sport like strength and just building up these solid foundations and not focusing on making weight or anything like that it's just get really skillful and get very strong and then that'll feed into you then kind of channeling i guess if you think of it like a pyramid those are the foundations of the pyramid and then these smaller one percentages of making weight and finding your weight class and these certain things it all comes to the peak then and then you're a black belt competing so yeah, I think my biggest thing would be not focus on the weight, focus on skills um, and I guess foundations for specific adaptations then. So just building strength, building up that aerobic base 
as well um, and it'll all feed into it. Yeah, that, that's that's super cool. Really, really solid advice for sure. And like from my kind of experience, my kind of observations, when you do have these like junior kind of youth athletes trying to make way at 15, 16, they'll often have some success there. So then as they mature and as they get heavier, as they build a lean mass, even if it's not, even if it's suboptimally, they're still maturing and getting bigger. They're always trying to get back down to that lower weight category that they previously had success at. And all of a sudden they're 24, 25 years old and trying to make the same weight that they hit in when they're 15 and 16 and had to cut weight for that. And they can't let go of it. And it's just absolutely ruining them. Like in terms of their mental health, their career development, their physical development. Um, so yeah, that, that's absolutely solid advice you've given there. So absolutely awesome. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a big thing. Anyway, I think even regardless of kind of youth athletes, I think anyone that starts out, I guess jujitsu, we see more people start out a little bit older. Is some people they will kind of diet, they'll make a weight class once, and they try and hold on to that, and it gets more into it. Comes into that culture, it becomes more about the weight than it does about the actual sport. Then, um, and I think sometimes you just actually forget about the weight and focus on doing the sport you enjoy um, more so. Um, but yeah, especially from a youth standpoint, I think um, from coaching myself, um, I was just thinking then uh, like kind of a positive from that is I have this one lad, he's recently turned 17, started, he's been training maybe nine months to a year. But when he started, he was about 66 kilos and he was like, oh, I want to compete. Should I do this? I'm around this weight. And I was like, whatever you're at, just do the weight class above. Just you're going to grow. And he was like, oh, okay. And he just literally eats, trains jiu-jitsu, does a bit of MMA, lifts a tiny bit of weights. That's about it. And just trains loads, eat loads. And he's about 77 kilos now. He's put on about like half a foot in height. And he's just like, but he's a very good athlete. And he's a problem now for the adults that used to ragdoll him just because he's just listened and done it and followed the process. And now I look at him, I'm like, oh, you're what I wish I had done. Um, so it's good to see it paying off. Yeah, that, that's the dream, isn't it? That, that's so good. Um, awesome. So, Ben, uh, this has been absolute class. Uh, you shared a huge amount of like insight, uh, so really appreciate your time. So for people uh, who can go and follow you and check out your work, your your coaching, your Insta and all that stuff, where, where can they find you? Yeah, so my personal Instagram is um, at spudjitsu. Um, and then my coaching side of things is an orthodox performance, but I'm pretty sure if you put in Ben Robson on Instagram, you'll be able to find Spud Jitsu and um, I have links to everything else there. Um, and anyone that's listening, kind of, if anyone has any kind of follow-up questions or anything, they want to probe more, like I'm more than happy to answer questions. So just drop me a message. Um, I'm always up for a chat about anything trainer related. Yeah. Awesome. That is really, really cool. So Ben, thank you so much for your time. It's been absolutely awesome. Uh, thank you very much. No problem. Thank you for having me.